Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Hey, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Um, God is so good to us, and he is continuing to answer our prayers. That's why we want to continue to flood the, the box with prayer requests and all, because God answers prayer, and he's faithful. And, um, you know, we know that he's sovereign at the same time, and he does things in his own way, but they're always the best for us, and so we can trust him with that. Um, we're in a part two message this morning entitled Remedies for a Troubled Heart. Anybody have a troubled heart here this morning? Any issues of life going on? We always have issues of life going on, but Jesus has remedies for us, how to, how to deal with the troubles of life, and uh, we, we kind of look at, we're in John 14, and Jesus is giving some comforting words to his disciples as he has just laid out on the table some difficult things for them. They are at the Last Supper or the, the Passover meal and then the Last Supper kind of instituted together, and they are in the upper room, and, and Jesus begins to tell them that one of them will betray them, and of course, they don't know who it is, and so uh, we get the account from Matthew's gospel in, in chapter 26, verse 22, and it says, and they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? They were so overwhelmed by the idea that it might be them, each one of them individually, that they're asking Jesus, is it me, Lord? Am I the one? He goes on and he, and he says, well, listen, guys, uh, we're not going to figure out who it is today, although I've told you you don't understand it, but you will eventually. But I'm going uh, away now and to a place that you cannot go. And, and of course, they all want to go with him and they've been with him and all. And so that's a heavy blow to them. They don't want to see him leave and uh, they don't understand where he's going. He's going to the cross. He's going to be crucified. But in three days, they'll see him again, you know, but they don't know all of that yet. So there's a lot of trouble in their heart at that point in time. And then Jesus turns to Peter and he gets personal with Peter and he tells Peter in in. Before the sun dawns, you will deny me. You will, you will deny me three times. And Peter's like, "No, Lord, I'll go to the I'll go to the cross with you. I'll lay down my life." And Jesus is like, "No, man, you're going to betray me." And so, you know, you can you can understand the anxiety that's going on in their hearts. They don't want to separate from Jesus. They don't want to. No one wants to betray him. Peter certainly doesn't want to deny him. Doesn't think he will. And yet, that is the case. These guys' worlds are literally falling apart. Has your world ever fallen apart before? Just crumble before your eyes? It, it, it is a time of extreme trouble when that happens. We, and you, you need some, something to bank on. You need an anchor for your soul during those times. And thankfully, we have that in Jesus. And he comes in John 14, and he leaves his disciples with some comforting words, things that they can grasp onto and hold onto. And, and, um, and that's what he's doing in John chapter 14. Um, he promises not to necessarily take us out of the problem, but he promises to comfort us through the problem. And so Jesus isn't going to come necessarily rescue you out of your issue, but he will see you through it. And oftentimes, if he's seeing you through the problem, it's because it's going to be for your betterment. It's going to do something in your life that it wouldn't otherwise happen. And so he's using that trouble as a means of growth for you. And again, that's why James says in James chapter 1, consider it pure joy when you en encounter these various trials because those trials are meant to grow you. And so we embrace them. It's not fun to go through them. Just like, you know what, every day I go to the gym, I hate it. I don't like going to the gym. I, I hate running, but I run. Why? Because it's good for my body. I, I hate working out, but I work out because it's great for my body. Some of you guys like it. You're crazy. 
some of you people are like totally into working out. It's, you know, if I had a, I, there's a shirt out there that says running sucks. That's the kind of, that's the shirt I wear when I run. It just, I'm, it's not fun for me, but it produces something that couldn't be produced in my life without a little bit of pain. And so that's the point of trials in our lives, guys. God uses them to discipline us. He uses them to grow us up. He uses them to make us more like Jesus. Is that not the prayer? Lord, make me more like Jesus. And so he does. He honors your prayer in various ways. And sometimes it's through trouble. But he wants to comfort us through those times. He doesn't want us to be distressed. He doesn't want us to be discouraged. He doesn't want us to be worried. He wants us to trust him. And, and what we can do is we can turn to John chapter 14 and we can find that comfort. So if you're troubled and, and you want to write this down, your, your Bible should just flop open to John 14. You've gone to it so much. Because it is a place where you can camp out and do life right here in John 14 and find comfort for your soul. Martin Luther called John 14 the best and the most comforting sermon that the Lord Jesus delivered on earth. A treasure and a jewel not to be purchased with the world's goods. Listen, if you need comfort, this is the place you want to go. Stand with me if you would. We're going to read John chapter 14. We're going to pick it up in verse 1 and read the first 14 verses, and then we'll, we'll, we'll uh, get into our, our text this morning, which is John 14, 15 through 31. Here's what the, the word says, John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have, would I have told you to I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we can come in the name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, we can ask anything. In the name of Jesus, Lord, according to your will, and we can trust and know that it will be accomplished. We pray this morning, Father, that you would grow us, that you would help us to find rest in your word this morning, that we would be weeds this morning, absorbing your uh, word into our hearts, Lord, causing us to grow deeper and grow wider, Lord, to trust you more. So we ask you, Lord, to just work in our lives, and for those of us who are troubled this morning, God, would you bring comfort 
and peace into our hearts? Would you help us to know that you're at work, that you know what you're doing, and that we can trust you through it? And so, Lord, we, we praise you, Lord. We also want to thank you so much for the praise reports this morning, Lord. Thank you for Joe and what you're doing in his life, Lord. Thank you for how you're meeting him and Diana and the family as, as um, you are, Lord. And as you continue to, we, we pray for good results in these liver um, enzymes coming up, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in Dan Moreski's life, Lord, and just, um, just for that newfound relationship with you as he continues. As you continue to reveal yourself, Lord, how exciting it is as we get to know you more, to see the glory of the Son of God, Lord. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing in my dad's life. We just continue to ask you to sustain him as you see fit, Lord. And, Father, for all of the rest of the, the praises in this room, we thank you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There are seven remedies here in John chapter 14 for a troubled heart. We considered four of them last week. The first, if you recall, was remedy number one, was don't stop believing. In verses one through four, Jesus tells his disciples the key to keeping your heart trouble-free is belief in Jesus. He is our hope in times of distress, folks. Keep believing no matter what you experience. A remedy number two for the troubled heart is found in verses 5 through 7 where Jesus reminds us to rest in the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is responding to a question from Thomas there and, and how, how they can get to where Jesus is going. And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. When he says I am there, he's declaring that he is God. The, 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 the um, title I am is the same title God used when he told Moses who he was. He said, I am. So Jesus is saying, I am God, but I am also the way to the Father. There's no other way to the Father except through me. I'm singular, the only way. I'm also the truth, and I am also the life. There is no other life besides the life that I can give. And he came to give us life, and that more abundantly. As we continued on, a remedy number three was do the works of the Father in verses 8 through 12. Here, Philip asked Jesus to show them uh, the Father, and Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you and you do not know me? Man, don't you recognize that the Father is in me and that I'm in the Father? We're one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He, he says, if you can't take my word for it, then consider my works. They will testify that the Father is in me. And Jesus, you know, speaking about all of the things that he had done, that he was mighty not only in word but also in deed, that Jesus did all kinds of miracles, and those things were meant to, to declare to the world that he was from the Father, that the Father was in him. And he goes on and he talks to them about the idea of, you know, how that will translate to us. He says, just keep doing the works of the Father. The Father has works for you and I to do. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Those works are from the Father created beforehand for you and I to walk in. And, and so, you know, it's a glorious thing that you don't have to find little ladies to walk across the street. You know, God's already ordained that for you. He has that little lady sitting there at the right time for you to take them across the street. He has works for you to do. The question is, you know, are you doing them? Because we have free will and we can reject those works. Jesus says, if you want to keep your heart from being troubled, just do the works of the Father. The Father will keep you encouraged. You know, as you're used by the Father to do the things that he's called you to do, how encouraging it is for you and I. We're so encouraged as we do the works of the Father. 
How can you be discouraged when God's using you? So we want to do the works of the Father. Remedy number four was ask Jesus to intervene. And of course, in verses 13 and 14, Jesus goes on to say, anything you ask in my name, I will do with the, with the caveat of it being accord, it bringing glory to the Father through the Son. That's the idea there. He's saying, you can ask in my name. And, and, and of course, I didn't get a chance to really explain this, but when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name, not just as sort of a closer, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. That's not why we do it. We come in Jesus' name because the Father loves the Son. And when the, when the Son asks the Father, the Father does, and, and we'll see here even later in this text today, that he who loves the Son, the Father loves because he loves his Son. And so when you come in Jesus' name, you have some sort of boldness, some kind of an authority to come to the Father and ask anything, and he will do it because he loves his Son. And if he loves his son and you love his son, then he loves you. And you can ask him anything. And so, you know, the question is, are you asking this morning? Are you, are you, are you trying to exhaust your earthly resources before you, you invoke the God of heaven to intervene in your situation? I pray that not be the case. I pray that, you know, you and I, as we are, in, you know, encountering various things, that we don't go to what we can do first, that we go to God first and we say, Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? He'll direct you. He'll show you. Don't exhaust your own resources. Ask Jesus to intervene. He wants us to pray. He wants us to be praying people. You know, as Paul said in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you're troubled this morning, you simply need to ask Jesus to intervene in your situation. And he may not take you out of it, but he will see you through it. The peace of God will rest upon you in the midst of your troubles. And we're going we're gonna to sort of expand on that here in a little bit. As we move on here in verses 15 through 31, the, the, the number five remedy we find here is receive help from the helper. Look at verse 15. If you love me... You will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you now Jesus turns from the father he's been talking about the father now he turns from the father and he starts to speak about the Holy Spirit whom the father will send in his name the Holy Spirit is our helper literally our parakletos that's the word helper in the Greek para mean alongside kletos to help he is our advocate he is our comforter he's the one that consoles us he is our counselor and he is sent to keep our hearts from being troubled. He is Jesus' representative, just as Jesus was the Father's representative. Jesus says, I'm going to send, you know, the Spirit of Christ. It's the same, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you remember that when he was baptized, the Spirit descended upon him. That same Spirit that was in Jesus fills you and seals you as you come into relationship 
with the Father, and he is meant to help you, to aid you in your walk. Now, the word there that, that, that God will send, the Father will send another helper, that word another, in the Greek, you can circle it, and you can write on the side of your Bible in your margin, another of the same kind, another of the same kind. What he is not saying is he's sending somebody less than him. What he's saying is he is sending the equivalent, the co-equal to Jesus to be your helper. He is not sending you the third, the least, as, in, as we would you know, categorize it in terms of first, second, and third. That's not the way it works in the Trinity. They are co-equal. All of them are God at the same time, but they all have different functions. The Father is sending the, the, the helper, literally the, he, he is cut from the same cloth, so to speak, and he is helping us to live this life. Now, the helper Jesus is referring to is, is the third person of the Trinity, the last but certainly not the least, the Holy Spirit. I don't know what you know about the Holy Spirit, but listen, he is not an impersonal force as some you know, cults like to, like to portray the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force, as he is just the force of God, the breath of God. He is, he is some, some you know, mystical uh, you know, object that God uses to display his glory and power. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus says here, he, speaking of the Holy Spirit as a person, the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, I've encountered a lot of Christians that don't know much about the Holy Spirit. They don't understand the Holy Spirit. In fact, oftentimes it's a subject people like to avoid. Listen to me. Without the Holy Spirit in the church, we are dead in the water, folks. The book of Acts couldn't have been written without the Holy Spirit in the church. And we are the Acts 29 chapter, folks. We are the continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us. The book of Acts is not the Acts of Jesus Christ. It is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to be able to live out the will of God in our lives and to, you know, fulfill those works that Christ had created us for. And so the Holy Spirit was sent to us. He is a person. He has a will, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 11, and Hebrews 2, 4. He has a mind, according to 1 Corinthians 2, 10. He has emotion, according to Ephesians 4, 30. He has a will, he has a mind, and he has emotion. He is a person, not an object or a force. He is as much God as God. Jesus and the Father are. He is co-equal. Uh, jo- Jesus tells us in John 16, which we'll get into here in a few weeks, John 16, 7 through 11, it says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. It is to our advantage. He's speaking to his disciples here. They're the ones that live with Jesus three years. He's telling them, listen, it is to your advantage that I go away, because this other helper is going to do far more than I have done in your lives. Now, Jesus was an incredible teacher to these disciples. He, he showed them all kinds of things, and, and, and he left them with an incredible example, but he wasn't in them. He wasn't inside of them. 
What he is saying is, I'm going to send you a power within to create a whole new person in you to change you and transform you so that you can accomplish what I'm accomplishing, so that you can be like me. Now, as awesome as it would be, and, and no doubt you've maybe thought about this, oh, man, if I could just live with Jesus, I would be such a different person. Do you see these doofuses? They are not different than you and I. As they're, you know, Peter's sticking his foot in his mouth all the time. You know, they're, they're all, James and John are always arguing about who's greater. You know, these, these people are, are humans. And Jesus is there. But they are not, not necessarily living like Jesus. When we come to Christ, when we bow our knee to Jesus, and we make him our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that he fills us with the Holy Spirit, that he seals us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you know, it relates to people in three different relationships. He relates to everyone, you know, believer, unbeliever alike, only in one type of relationship. But in the believer's life, he relates to us in three different ways. The very first relationship that the Holy Spirit has with everybody, believer and unbeliever alike, is that he is with us. He is with us. It is the para relationship. The Holy Spirit is with everyone. Now, we just read in John 16 that the world cannot receive him, or he said that in John 14, the world cannot receive him, uh, but, the, but the world, uh, can still, he can still be with those who are in the world. He is at work, as John 16 said, to convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. They cannot receive him, though. That's the only reason anyone can reconcile with the Father is because the Holy Spirit is with them. He is the wooing power of the Father that he is drawing all men to himself through the power of the Holy Spirit, convicting us of, of our sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the only reason. That's why people don't like you when you walk into a place because you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit immediately begins to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And so, you know, when you walk in, just immediately the Holy Spirit's at work through you. And so that's why the world is so anti-Christ or anti-Christian because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That will not be the case forever, folks. There'll be a time and a space, I believe, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit will be withdrawn from the world for a period of time. For just a moment, when the church is raptured out of the world and, and, the, and, and he is taken away from the world and all of a sudden there is no Holy Spirit found here and, the, and, and man will do whatever he wants but people will get saved the Holy Spirit will be with people and he will draw people and people will get saved in the tribulation period but there will be a period of time where the Holy Spirit is not indwelling anyone for just a period of time I don't know how long that is I don't know if it's seconds I don't know if it's hours I don't know if it's days but what I know is that there is a, a period of time where the restrainer is taken out of the world I believe the restrainer is the Holy Spirit in the church. He goes on here, and, 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 and so every person has that power relationship with the Holy Spirit. Only believers have the, the next two types of relationships with the Spirit of God. Only believers have the N-E-N, -E that means in, in the Greek, and the epi, E-P-I, the upon experience of the, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The in experience is found here in John 14, 17, where he says the Holy Spirit dwells with you, para, and will be in you, E-N in the Greek, in you. Um, 
the Holy Spirit will reside in you and I as a helper to help us to do the works that we're called to do. But also, he goes on here and he tells us to remind us of the very words of Jesus. Now, <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm really thankful for this. I'm really thankful that the Holy Spirit resides in me to remind me of the words of Jesus because my mind does not work most of the time. And, uh, you know, you've seen that on display here as I can't even remember the bearded guy's name, you know, and I'm thinking, what is his name? And the Holy Spirit miraculously speaks through Dan Bradlow. He was anointed that day, and he says, his name is Mike. And I said, amen, yes, it is. So anyway, you can see why I have a, a fond uh, fondness of the idea that he reminds me of Jesus' words so that I can remember things. But you've seen it work in your life where you're sitting there talking to somebody, and there is a, there is a word that needs to be spoken to them, and it's a word that's not necessarily on your mind, on your tongue, and yet all of a sudden here it comes. That is the Holy Spirit working in our lives to remind us of the words of Jesus. You know, when you amaze yourself, listen, don't pat yourself on the back when you walk away from a, relation, with, with a, from a conversation, but when you amaze yourself a, a, after you walk away from somebody, you're like, gosh, I can't believe how good I was there. Well, well no, you can't because it wasn't you. It was the Holy Spirit working through you. So the Holy Spirit does these kind of things. Without him, folks, we, we have nothing to offer each other. My finite mind can't bring words of comfort to your situation. Only God's words, only the words of Jesus can do that. And the Holy Spirit reminds us to speak those words. I'm so grateful for that. Because if it were me, I'd want to rescue you out of your situation, and I would want to you know, take you out of the pain and all of that. But Jesus says, no, no, let's just bring comfort to this situation. We're going to leave this person in this situation because I'm teaching them. And if I remove them from this situation, they won't learn. And you know how that works because you've been there. And we're thankful for the pain because it makes us more like Jesus. I'm so thankful for that. But he, so he's given us, uh, you know, empowerment also to remind us of Jesus's words. But he is also our guarantee. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, speaking to Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He is the in-you relationship here. He comes and he is sealed, he is filled within you, and then he seals you as a guarantee that you belong to God. The idea of sealing there, I love this, is a, it's like a king that has a ring, you know, back in the, whatever, 13th century or whatever, they had these, they used the wax and they put the little mark on the, on the wax and that said, okay, this is from the noble or the king or whoever it might be. That's the idea of being sealed with the Holy Spirit, that God has put his signet ring and pressed it into you and he sees the emblem of heaven upon you, which is the Holy Spirit. That's the idea of being sealed with the Spirit. Isn't that cool? That he put his signet ring on you. He stamped you. He stamped you with a guarantee saying, I'm coming for you because you belong to me. You have the mark of God on you if you're a believer here this morning. But there is also a third relationship that believers have with the Holy Spirit, which is oftentimes referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is the the upon ex, uh, relationship, which is the epi, E-P-I, uh, that word means upon in the Greek, it's epi. 
uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks about this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That epi there. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The upon relationship is a special empowerment of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer to take the gospel into the world, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It is not so you can, you know, look at my hand, look how cool I am, you know, and you're doing cool things. No, that's not the point. The point is to take the gospel into the world. The point is to make Jesus famous. That's why he empowers us to do certain things. That's why we don't just walk around with the upon experience um, in our lives because it's meant for certain tasks. You know, it, it, he comes upon you in certain moments for certain reasons. And he's not resting upon you all the time. He's in you. So he's inside of you all the time. But he comes upon you with a special empowerment to go into the world to take the gospel to people who need to hear it. And that comes in a lot of different forms and fashions. You know, the, the inexperience of the, uh, in relationship with the Holy Spirit happens in John chapter 20 to the disciples. It's pretty cool. John chapter 20, verse 22, it says, And when he had, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. <sighs> that was the very breath of God in Adam. You know that? The breath of life. They were once dead, but now they were made alive. He <sighs> blew the Holy Spirit into them. He, he gave them the Spirit of God in that moment, and they received it, and he was now in them. But he goes on here, and he says that, they, that the Holy Spirit will come upon them, and we see that in Acts chapter 2, when the tongues of fire came upon them, and they were in the upper room, and, and they began to speak, and they bespeak, by the way, they were speaking tongues, and those tongues were praises from man to God. They were not special messages to every person there. We need to understand that. The gift of tongues is not prophecy. The gift of tongues is praises. Every time you see it in the Bible, anytime it's ever used, it's meant from praise to man to God. It's a way that the Holy Spirit works through man to be able to communicate from the soul praise to the Father. That's the point of it. The point of it is not that you're communicating some message to somebody prophetically. That is not what you see in the Scriptures. You see it as a means of praise from, from man to God. But, but the Holy Spirit came upon them, and it was a rushing wind that blew through that upper room there, and they, he came upon them. And they began to speak languages that they didn't know, and they began to, you know, praise the Lord, it says. And then all the, the, the you know, people there heard in their indigenous languages uh, the, these praises, and they're thinking, what is going on in there? It's a Holy Ghost fire party right there, and that's what was happening. And they were being, the Holy Spirit was upon them. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 14 here that he will not leave us orphans. He's going to go away, but he's going to send another helper. The Father's going to send another helper through the Son. He's not going to leave us orphans. You know that word orphan there in the Greek? It literally means helpless. He's not going to leave you helpless. He understands that you need help. And so he sends the helper, the Holy Spirit, to work in your life. He will not leave you or forsake you. He's always with you. He's working regardless of what you feel, regardless of what you see. He is with you. He's at work in you, and he is doing things that are behind the scenes for your help because he wants to help you. He loves us far too much 
to leave us as orphans. So he sends the helper to us. Listen, if your heart is troubled today, Christian, receive the help from the helper. That's why he's come. Receive his help today. Sixthly, if you want to overcome a heart trouble, then you must also keep his word. Look at verse 19 there. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. I, I, I referenced that up in the last section there. The hope that we find in the words of Jesus here are unremarkable. They are unprecedented. There's nothing like them. There's nothing to compare to the words that he's speaking right here. He reminds his disciples that the world will never see him again. The world will not see him. They, they don't know him. They will never see him again. But they, it's a promise to his to his disciples, to those followers of Jesus, they will see him again. And although you've never seen him, you will see him one day because of your faith in him. Jesus is reminding them here of his resurrection. He's saying, the world's not going to see me. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be hung on the cross. I'm going to die. They're going to put me in a grave. They will never see me again. But you guys, in three days, are going to see me. And I will raise again from the dead, and I will walk these streets. I will walk through walls. I will insert myself in your life at certain points to reveal myself to you. He is reminding them. He goes on and he says, because I live, you too will live. He is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He is telling them right here that because of what he is about to do, that he's going to go to the cross and raise again from the dead, that we can find hope in that that we can find hope in the resurrection because if he rose again from the dead, we too will rise again from the dead. It's a guarantee to you and I. It's a promise that he is going to do that in our lives. The grave is not the end for you, Christian. It is not your destination, nor is it your final resting place. In fact, you don't stop there at all. You go right through the grave and transition right into heaven. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, so we are, we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, that's here in the present, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's another version. The idea is that as soon as you leave this body, as soon as you lay down for the last time and breathe your last breath, you are immediately in Jesus' presence. There is, it's like instantaneous. You can't even count the, the time. There is no time. It's, just, it's a seamless transition. It's just boom, boom, you're there. There's not even that, that little glimpse of time there. You know, it's just 
you, you close your eyes, you wake them up, and you're right there in his presence. You have nothing to fear when it comes to death. One day, your earthly tent, this body, as 2 Corinthians 5 talks about, will be laid in a box and you'll be buried in the ground. But you will not be there. You will be with the Lord if you're a believer. You will be with the Lord. So you have nothing to fear there. I love what Pastor Chuck said one one time, and and they quoted this um, often after his death. He said, one day you'll read in the paper that Chuck Smith died. Don't believe it. It should say Chuck Smith moved. That is true. It doesn't matter who it is that dies. It's not because he's Chuck Smith. It's because Jesus rose again from the dead, and all believers get to rise again from the dead. So we all get to transition the same way. Pastor Chuck is not in the grave. He is with Jesus, and so will you be if your faith is put in him alone. After the resurrection, his followers, his disciples here, they're going to recognize the oneness that he has with the Father, and that oneness will translate to them and him, as he says, as he is in me and I and in you. He's talking about this idea that, that we, he is one with us, and because he's, he lives, we too will, will live. You know, he goes on to say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is, this is pretty sobering. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That word if is conditional. Do you really love him? Well, how do we know? It's by the way we live. It's by the way we live. Actions speak louder than words. That was a phrase coined in heaven. Actions speak louder than words. If you love Jesus, you will relationally keep his commandments. You will relationally live out your life in such a manner that it pleases him because you love him. And you're doing it not because you have to, but because you love him. You're, you're living your life, you're applying his word into your life because you know that's what pleases him. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, we don't have to figure out what pleases God. He told us what pleases him. He told us what doesn't please him. We don't have to figure that out, do we? We have his commandments right here. He tells us here, just do this. What, what did Jesus say? What the, if you fulfill these two commandments, you fulfill them all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. Listen, all of those are seated and rooted in love. If you're loving, you know, Jesus, then you're going to inherently love people. If you're doing that, you're going to fulfill everything because love is king. Love causes your actions to, to, to be lived out in a, in a way that's, that would honor the Lord. You know, let me give you an example. I, I you know, I won't cheat on my wife. Why? It's not because I think it's morally wrong. That's not stopping me because rules don't stop us, do they? We put all the rules in the world. How many, how many rules you got on your fridge for your diet? You're not going to eat after 10 o'clock. You're only going to eat no carbs. You're not going to eat this and that and whatever. But how often do you follow those? Rules don't, 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 don't do it for us. Love does. I don't cheat on my wife not because I think it's morally wrong or because there's a rule in place. It's because I love her. And I don't want to hurt her. I love her. I don't want to break that relationship that we have because I love her. It's the same with Jesus. You will follow him and you will keep his commandments, maybe not perfectly. You're going to err here and there. But the idea is that you're striving to do everything that you know to do because you love Jesus. And when you blow it, you're broken. 
Lord, I can't believe I did this to you again. Father, will you forgive me? You know, and he will forgive you. The idea is not perfection, but it's striving because we know this body is broken down, that it, that it desires to sin, and we will not be perfect in this life, but we will strive to be. And we will love him in our striving. And that's the idea that we keep his commands here. If you love him, you'll do what you're supposed to do. Now, about this time, Judas, not Iscariot, he wants to make sure we understand that. This is a different Judas. He chimes in and he says, Lord, how can you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? I don't understand that. How can, you, how can we see you but the world can't see you? How does that work? And he's like, he doesn't even answer really the question. Well, he says, you know what? Just if you love me, keep my commandments. He, he, that is the answer. The idea is, is that he will be manifest in us through the, the idea of us keeping his commandments because we love him. But really, you know, what, what he is saying to them is that he is also going to be resurrected and he's going to have a different body. And he does have a different body. Although he eats fish in John chapter 21, he also walks through walls. You know, he trans the, the road to Emmaus. He's one of two of his disciples. They don't know who he is. And all of a sudden, when he decides to reveal himself, all of a sudden they recognize him. Oh, it's you, Lord. Same thing with Peter in John 21 when he's out in the boat. He sees a man. He doesn't know it's Jesus at first, does he? But then when Jesus reveals himself, he understands it. There, there's something to do with Jesus' body and the way that he reveals himself, that he can just reveal himself to whom he decides to, and he can be present, and maybe you've passed him, and you wouldn't even know it maybe because he didn't reveal that to you. I don't, I'm not saying that happened, but it could. What I'm saying is, is that his body is different than ours. He's not just talking about a physical manifestation, but he's also talking about a spiritual manifestation in and through us. We see Jesus all the time. I see Jesus all the time through you guys. I see Jesus working in and through you, and you see the same. So we see Jesus. They don't understand this, though. But Jesus goes on here, and he tells us that for those of us that love him, that he and the Father will collectively come and make their home with us. Isn't that intimate? Isn't that beautiful that he would come and dwell with us and in us? Are you loving Jesus today? Are you keeping his word? Not legalistically, but relationally. Listen, our God so loves us that we should so love him that we would manifest the very works of Jesus in our lives. Lastly, if we want relief from a troubled heart, all we need to do is walk in peace. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Finally, we come to what is the pinnacle, I believe, of all the remedies here.
the reality that Jesus came to give us peace. Although Jesus was departing, he was leaving his disciples with peace, not outer peace. He's not talking about outer peace because Jesus has just waged war on hell and the devil, and so externally we're going to be in a war. There's going to be warfare going on all around us all the time. He's not talking about peace externally. What he is talking about is that he is bringing us perfect peace in the midst of our external trouble. That's what he's talking about. Jesus has given it to us, and all we have to do is receive it. Listen, you can't receive this if you're not a believer. The world longs for peace. People want inner peace. But they can't receive peace if they don't receive Jesus. You have to know Jesus as Lord and Savior to have this peace that he's speaking about. And yet the world is seeking it in all different kinds of ways. Religion is one of them. People go to church because it makes them feel at peace. But again, it's not about the way we feel. Because I can feel at peace internally and be at war with God at the very same time. It's not about a feeling. It's about reality. It's about what the Word of God tells us. The Word of God tells us that you and I are enemies of God. That we are at enmity with Him. It's, it's Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 7, and it says this. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The, you can't, as a believer, be at peace with God. You can't. Neither can you have the peace of God. Because you have to know the pe- you have to make peace with God first before you can have the peace of God in your life. And so everything that we've been talking about here, these remedies for a troubled heart, they don't apply to an unbeliever. They're speaking about believers. You can't receive the Holy Spirit if you're not a believer. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit as a result of becoming a believer. The idea is that people look at the Word of God and they try and apply it to their lives without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And none of it applies if you're not a... The only thing that applies is the bad parts. Like you're going to hell. Like you're going to die and perish eternally because you're not in right relationship with God. The fact that you're a sinner. Yes, all of those things apply to you, but the promises that God will one day transition you from death to life, that death has no sting for you, that you know, you're, you're forgiven and all those kinds of things, they come as a result of faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the only way that they come. These truths only apply to those who have crowned Jesus Lord. If you want peace, you have to receive the Prince of Peace who is Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came. He came to make peace with you and God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to make peace with God. And because he made peace with God, then we can also receive peace, the peace of God upon us our lives. The peace of God is the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. It's the kind of peace that when you're in troubled times that rests upon your soul and you just, you you don't understand why you are at peace internally, but you are. It's the peace of God. It's it's Him resting upon you and saying, we're going to see you through it. You just rest in me and, uh, you know, I will 
see you through all of these things. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4, to be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God will, will come upon you. That's paraphrased, <laughs> obviously. But the idea here is that Jesus said, I want to give you peace. And that first stage of peace comes in relationship with him. It's by faith. He made peace with God. And then we get the peace of God in our lives. We're reminded in Isaiah 26.3, this wasn't a new concept. Isaiah said in Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's by faith that we receive that peace. If you're not at peace today and you're a believer, uh, you know, if you're not at peace today, actually there's only two reasons for that. Either A, you're not a believer, or two, you're not receiving the peace that he provided for you through the Holy Spirit. Those are the only two reasons. It's not because your circumstances are so great that you can't, you can't receive the peace of God. It's because you're unwilling to receive the peace of God. If you, if you don't have peace today, you're either not a believer or you're not receiving so which one is it? It's the question. I can tell you that in my own life, there are times where I am, you know, not receiving the peace of God in my life because I'm so troubled that my eyes are on the waves, as we sang earlier, that I can't see over the waves. I can't see Jesus walking on the water because I'm so in tune with the waves in front of me that I am so troubled by that that I, I don't have my eyes on Jesus. That's why the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. For the joy that was set before you, he, he endured the cross, despised the shame. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He came to give you peace, but you've got to get your eyes on him. You can't, you can't look at your circumstances and continue to embrace your circumstances and, and expect to be at peace. They will cause fear. They will create fear and anxiety in your life. The peace that you need is the peace that comes from Jesus, and that's why you've got to get your eyes on him. Listen, we live in a world that's just riddled with people that are longing for peace. Why do you think that, um, you know, one out of six people in America are on some kind of psychotropic drug? Why are they on that? Because the anxiety is so great in our world. The trouble is so overwhelming that people are saying, I need some kind of peace. I don't know where to get that peace. And so the doctor says, well, here, take this. This will give you peace. And it does temporarily. It does. It takes away your feeling completely. In fact, you know, I've talked to different Christians that have been on, um, you know, anxiety medicines and all that, and they say, I, I can't sense God at all when I'm on that, and so they've chosen not to be on that. What I'm saying is, is that, you know, you make that personal choice yours, but what I'm saying is that the world is looking for peace in a pill, and, and they're looking for peace in any other way except for Jesus, you know, and so they're running to the, the, the pharmacy to get the pill that's going to bring them peace, and it's only temporary. It can't bring the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. Only Jesus can bring this kind of peace. You know the, the slogan that says, no Jesus, N-O Jesus, N-O peace, you know, no Jesus, no peace. But K-N-O-W Jesus, K-N-O-W peace. If you don't have Jesus, you ain't got peace. But if you got Jesus, you got peace. That's the idea, and it is the truth so simple Jesus here is also not providing some escapism for us he's not offering escapism from your problems you know as often as you know sometimes you hear on different altar calls on TV where people say 
Just accept Jesus and your all your troubles will go away today. And by the way, I got this book for $59.99. And, you know, not really. But but the idea is that you 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 are going to have problems. Jesus promised that. He promised it. It's a watered-down gospel that says Jesus will rescue you from all your peace or from all your pro- troubles. He won't. That's not the truth. You will change. That's the truth. And you will deal with problems differently. You will look at them. You will allow the peace of God. You'll receive the peace of God in your life. And you will walk through your troubles differently. That's the truth because he's in you. And so that, that's just an awesome thing. Jesus is going away, yes. But he sent a comforter to us to help us. To help us to, to rest in the peace that he gave us. But he's still at work. Don't be fooled. Jesus is still at work with you. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 Consequently, he is able to, 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 oh, I'm sorry, 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is at the right hand of the Father right now making intercession for you. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 21. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Listen, we have an advocate with the Father right now. And he is, he, is playing, he is talking to the Father about you. And he's advocating for you. He's supporting you. He's saying, you know, let's, let's help them with a little extra power here. You know, he is there. He is your advocate. He's your helper in heaven. He is also making intercession for you. Oh, Lord, he's on his knees. His knees are so wore out for you, from you. He just is like, man, I've got to keep praying for these people. Because they need help, and so he does. He makes intercession for us always, and I'm thankful for that. I know I'm wearing him out for sure. When Jesus goes on here and he says, the Father is greater than I, he isn't saying that he isn't God. That's not what it means. What he's saying is in his role as the Son of God, the Father is greater than him. The, the plan comes from the Father. You, you read it continually through Jesus' um, own words, he says, I do what the Father tells me to do. I'm submitting as the servant of all to the Father to do the will of the Father. Whatever the Father wants me to do, I'll do. That doesn't mean he's God. That doesn't mean he's not God. And that's where people will point to this passage. Well, Jesus said the Father was greater than him. How can he be the same as him? Well, you know what? The role of the Son of God is different than the Father in terms of, you know, how they work, but that doesn't make Jesus any less God. He's co-equal with God. In fact, he makes it plain. I and the Father are one. Like We're the same. We're cut from the same cloth, just as the Holy Spirit is cut from the same cloth. We are all one, but we all have different roles, and that's what he's speaking about here. He goes on to say that the enemy is coming. The hour it is at hand. The cross is before him, and yet it won't be at the hand of the enemy that he lays down his life. He will lay down his life on his own power. He will lay down his life because the Father asked him to lay down his life. It's the will of the Father that's being displayed here, not the power of the enemy. Now, the enemy is powerful, of course, he, but he is only as powerful as the Lord allows him to be because he's in complete and total submission to the Father. In other words, God allows him, and I don't understand all this, but God allows the enemy to work in this world to do certain things, um, you know, but God uses all those things to draw us to himself. God's not orchestrating all of these things, but he's using them at the hand of the enemy, but ultimately he, he's the one that 
is going to get the glory at the end of the day when people come to Christ through tragedies and all of that stuff. And so it's a difficult concept, but the, the idea is that the, thought that the enemy is subjective to the Father. He can't do whatever he wants to do. He has, we see it in the book of Job. He has to, you know, everything passes by the desk of God. So he can't, he can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. And whatever he allows him to do, it's for his glory and for your betterment. And so we trust the Lord with that. When Jesus went to the cross, he said one word, teletestai. Teletestai in the Greek, it is finished. It's finished. It's done with. The war is over in terms of you and I and, and our, you know, enmity with God. We've been made at peace with God. It's finished. The work has been done. But it was at the hand of the enemy. The enemy led Jesus to the cross, but it was at the Father's will for that to happen. Just crazy how that all works. When Jesus said it is finished, the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus by faith in you and I, and we were made at peace with God. And at this point, as Jesus finishes these words, then it says that they departed from this place. And now, as we pick it up in John chapter 15 next week, they are now on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane at the Mount of Olives where Jesus will, John 15, 16 to 17, then he'll be betrayed and, you know, he'll be uh, arrested and all of that and he'll go to the cross. But these, John 14, 15 and 16, 17, these verses, guys, are the last words of Jesus to his disciples and he is hyper-focused on bringing them comfort and peace and help him to understand what it is that he's calling them to do moving forward. And so you and I should spend a ton of time in these chapters. We should know these verses we should find rest in these verses because it's Jesus' word not only to them but to you and I. He wants to bring you comfort in your troubles. He wants to bring you peace in the midst of your trials. But you have to receive it. You have to come to him and ask him. Time is too short to be troubled at heart, Christian. We've been given seven remedies for a troubled heart. Believe in Jesus. Rest in him. Do the works of the Father. Ask Jesus to intervene. Receive help from the Holy Spirit. Keep his word and walk in his peace. You can receive these and more as you lean on Jesus in times of trouble. So let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. God is in control, and he will comfort you and give you peace as you trust him. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. God, these are, verses are so deep and so rich, Lord. We thank you that they in and of themselves speak... Um, volumes of life into us. These are your very words to us, Lord. They need no help from anyone. Lord, I pray that as we encounter various troubles in our lives, that we run to your word, particularly in John 14 here, Lord, as we find these remedies, as we find peace, as we find the comfort that you so desire to give us, Lord. We are not called to do life alone. You have given us your word as a comfort to us. You have given us your spirit, Lord. You've given us each other. You've given us all that we need, Lord. And so this morning, if, if, if we are struggling, Lord, then we know that it's not a result of because of you haven't provided for us, Lord. It's a result of maybe we're missing something. Maybe we're looking to something else, Lord. And we ask you this morning, Father, to, to help us to not allow our eyes to move from you. That our eyes would be fixed upon you as your word tells us. Lord, that, that our hearts would be set upon heaven, that we wouldn't be so wrapped up in this world that we have lost sight of who you are. 
we ask, Lord, even today, that you would cause those who, at, who are at enmity with God to be made at peace. Father, for those that don't know you, you help them to come into that loving relationship with you as they just, by faith, declare that they are sinners and that they need a Savior, and the Savior is Jesus Christ. And that our sin is so deplorable before you, Lord, that you had to shed the innocent blood of your Son that we might be cleansed by our faith in you. And so this morning, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that needs to receive you, Lord, that they would just, by faith, just say, Lord, I want to invite you into my heart. I'm a sinner. I am in need of forgiveness this morning. Lord, would you forgive me? Coming in the blood of Jesus, I believe in his death and his resurrection. And I'm receiving it this morning, and I'm making Jesus my Lord and Savior. And Lord, we know all of heaven rejoices when someone prays in faith like that. Lord, for, your, for your, those who belong to you this morning, God, that by your spirit right now, that you would fill us, Lord, overflowing, that you would baptize us in your spirit, that we wouldn't just experience the, the in relationship with you, but we would experience the upon relationship with you. Lord, for those here this morning, Father, that need extra power to take the gospel into the world, that you would, even now, baptize us with your spirit, Lord. We know that your word tells us that if we lack the spirit, all we have to do is ask, and you'll fill us. Jesus even said here we can ask anything in his name. And so we come asking for your spirit to be more prevalent in our lives, that we would be obedient, and that we would love you more, God. So we just ask for your peace to rest upon this place in every heart and every soul here today, Lord, that we would not only be at peace with you, but we would have the peace of God upon us. So, Lord, have your way in us as we close this service now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.